0: Anybody feel a little Seinfeld in that bumper? I would feel like with that bass slapping around, it feels like Seinfeld to me, or maybe it's just me. But okay, hey everybody, glad to be here with you. It is always an honor uh, to be invited to teach as part of our teaching team. Hello to Kendall and those of you joining online. Uh, Pastor Bill has been away on a much needed vacation. He is back, but our teaching schedule and the way we prepare is such that Um, We needed three messages for him to have a good time off. So you get me today, and I am glad to be with you. I want to tell you a story Um, as we get started. I was having lunch with a friend of mine not too long ago, and our server came to the table, and when he spoke, my eyes about popped out of my head. Good afternoon, he said, and I just thought, what is this voice It was so deep and soothing. It just grounded me and his personality all about it. I just thought, I gotta get this guy to do a voiceover at church. I'm type A like that. Like, oh, I I know what you could do for me. So I'm thinking about this and and we continue to order. As we order, I say, hey, can I ask you a question? Um, Have you been waiting tables long? And he says, well, a few months. And so I think with the pandemic, with everything going on, whatever work he did before, which clearly should have been something in the world of production or voiceover or something that had to stop. And he's waiting tables. And um, his name is Corey. And so I asked him, "Hey, hey, Corey, what work did you do before you were waiting tables? And he said, oh, construction. Instruction. I mean, that's fine, but I just couldn't get out of my head that God had given him such a special gift. And so, and so I keep at it with Corey. Like, hey, Corey, no one has never said to you that you should probably do some voiceover work or, or do something in production or I don't know, you're just so, you're so great. And he said, no, never. And I said, Well, today's your day. And so I proceed to tell him what I do here at the church and how I'd love for him to come and meet the team and and do something like this. And he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But uh, I said, well, would you be interested? And he said, sure. And I thought he was just being nice. But he brings the check and he says, so (laughs) ma'am, right? Ma'am, how can you and I connect about that opportunity you mentioned? I said, okay, well, let's exchange phone numbers, and if something comes up, then I'll reach out. Great. I was glad to know this guy was in town, and I could call him if if something came up. Um, I get this text that night. I have to tell you something because it's been on my mind all day. This morning in prayer, I asked God to put a path in my life and to bring the people into my life to show me the way to what I was meant to do. And then you showed up. I'm mind blown. I never thought I was meant to be a waiter forever. So I read that to Caleb, my husband, and I said, see love, this is why I go out to lunch and I charge it on the credit card. Thank you for your ministry partnership, right? Well, Corey's schedule finally worked out for him to come meet the team just this past week. And of course, I had a little something for him to do. Take a look. As Christ's body, we have a responsibility to encourage each other and to build each other up, especially those who are fresh in the faith. Ephesians 4, two through six says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient and bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We bear one another in love, celebrating our one faith and our one baptism in the Lord. Okay, so what did I tell you about that voice, right? Okay, first time he's done a voiceover, but here's why I'm telling you the story, and here's why we're showing you that video at the same time. Um, Baptism reminds us of life change, right, which is our mission, and that video just gave us some vision for why all of us should show up on Saturday at beach baptism and be a part of our brothers and sisters being baptized. Well, Cory got to be a part of communicating that vision, which then made him part of the mission. So God is leading us into intersections with people, all day, every day, with whom he's also leading into intersection with us. And many times, all we have to do is notice. We could have picked any restaurant that day. We could have been sat at any table, but no, we were sat at Corey's table. And on this day, God wanted to get Corey's attention. And mine, right? How many moments has God set up for me in the past that I just didn't notice? You know, I want my eyes open. I wanna feel that thing again and again, that thing where you know that you were a part of something God did just by being present in a moment. And you know what I call that? I call that sweet. Sweet, where we taste and see that the Lord is good because he's right there, and we get to be right there in it. So that's what I want us to talk about today, how God pours his sweetness on us and through us in the everyday moments. And sometimes we think that we've got to uh, do the right thing at the right time and the right way, and that God's very specific with us, and sometimes he is very specific with us. But Proverbs sixteen three also encourages us to commit to the Lord whatever we do, whatever we do, and he will establish our plans. So sometimes I also think God is less concerned with the details and more concerned with how we make the commitment to move with him as we make our way through the details. Not one of us listening in one of our auditoriums today or online is going to have the same 24 hours. Right? It's just not going to happen. Not one of us will experience the same day. And in fact, there will be more than, what, 7 billion unique days of life experienced on the planet today and tomorrow the same thing. But what could happen, and I believe what will happen, are intersections, right? Interactions, relational exchanges. And some will be as deep as those between a husband and wife. And some will be as passing as paying a cashier at the grocery store and god knows about all of them he knows exactly where you're going to be when he has prepared these moments and he's assigned them and some of them are coming for you this is how big god is and this is how organized god is the prophet isaiah said do you not know have you not heard The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. And this is how we know that God is God and we are not. Because I'm telling you, my three boys started school this past week, and I'm already a little tired and a little bit weary about that. And I only sort of take care of three humans god is taking care of seven and a half billion of which you and i are only one so sometimes we feel like well does what i do really matter anyway we can feel lost in that shuffle like big world little me but i'm going to read a little more of that same isaiah passage to you from the message version of the bible listen to this why would you ever complain saying god has lost track of me He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Then haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's the creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything, inside and out. And I'd really like for us to think about this for a minute. The creator of all we see and imagine created us and included us in all we see and imagine. My kids will remind me sometimes that they didn't ask to be born, and they're right. It's true, they're right. But that's because life is God's business. And every day given to each of us to breathe God's air and walk God's earth is a unique 24 hours yours is yours, mine is mine, the person next to you has theirs, you watching online, you have yours. Each of us is having a custom-made relationship with God. He's leading us into it. He's the creator, and it's his story, but he wrote you into it. So now this should make us pause and wrestle with the other side of the sovereign coin, right? If all this is creator God's story, and he made me and put my details as a part of it, my life's details, then why does he allow some of my details to feel so bad? Right? And at times, it's unbearable. And it's a good question. We should ask it. The fact that we can choose to ask this question is part of that answer. God's intention was not to create us and then force us into a relationship with him. God's desire is to love us into choosing a relationship with him. And with that love comes freedom. And with that freedom comes the ability and the privilege, I would say, to align our desires with God's desires or to align them with something else. And since Adam and Eve, we've all had experience with aligning those desires to something else. And that's a message for another day. But it's worth a mention as we continue today's conversation and think about God's sovereignty. So I would like to make a declaration. Since life is God's business and no one but you is going to experience the life he gave you, you are uniquely significant to the movement of God's kingdom on the earth. And I'm not suggesting that maybe you could be. I'm saying that you are, and so am I. The question is whether we are constructive or constrictive to the kingdom. And let's just talk about the difference between those two words for a second. Let's look at them. What makes them different? Well, constructive has a U in it, right? And constrictive has an I in it. And my apologies to those listening in other languages because this might only make sense in English. But here's what I noticed. The difference between being constructive or constrictive to the move of the kingdom is whether there's a you or an I in it. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. So when Jesus speaks about his father's kingdom, and he talks about it a lot, it's a bit upside down from the structures we see built around us. Human kingdoms are set up on uh, frameworks of power, right? And money or control, education maybe. I, 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 I. But God's kingdom is established on a framework of love and faith, mercy, and compassion. You, 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 you. So something popped out to me recently, recently in the book of James uh, it's where we're going to go now. James, we'll start in chapter 2. Short book of the Bible, written by the half-brother of Jesus, but it's packed with instruction that aligns to some of the things Jesus said were important about his father's kingdom. So I'm going to jump right in. It's top of James, chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Must not show Favoritism. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So what stuck out to me when I read this was how James says that favoritism actually breaks the greatest commandment. That is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. Now, love your neighbor is not the same thing as treating everybody in our lives identically. And love your neighbor is not the same as everybody gets a trophy. I don't even understand love your your neighbor to mean don't have favorites, but I do understand how it could be not to show favoritism. When I show dignity and respect to some, but not others, that's not loving my neighbor. And James is saying that when believers do that, church, We're breaking the law because Jesus introduced the law of love. A new command, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how the kingdom moves. That's being constructive and not constrictive. It's putting the you, not the I, as the priority. And Paul restates this in Romans 13. He says, "Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Any other commandment is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And it just stuck out to me so boldly that showing favoritism, that's you know, treating someone better than another for whatever reason, it's just wrong because it's withholding God's love from someone when I've been commanded to show it to everyone. It's not constructing the kingdom, it's constricting it. God's kingdom moves when you love your neighbor. And James goes on to give us some help, some practical steps on how we can do this. So we'll continue in verse 12. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, that's the law of love, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, aka full of mercy. Mercy triumphs, triumphs over judgment. What that means is that when the kingdom of God gets in you, mercy has a way of making its way out of you. So what if we were to filter every interaction we have or response we make through mercy before judgment? This is so hard. Mercy, mercy, mercy. What would happen if we did that? I'll tell you what will happen. We won't play favorites. We won't constrict the kingdom. The kingdom will be unleashed on earth as it is in heaven and your everyday moments become part of its construction just by putting the use in your life ahead of the I. Showing up with intention to offer mercy before judgment. What kind of world would we see if we showed mercy before we judged? James says to speak and act. So look where he takes us next in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead, James says. Now, it's important to note here what James is not saying. He's not saying that our deeds save us. Salvation comes by grace through faith. But if our faith isn't producing fruit in our lives, if that mercy that we've been given isn't yielding acts of mercy from us to others, James is asking us a really good question. Hey, what kind of faith is that? Because true saving life change not only makes a difference in you, it changes what's coming out of you. Look, you can usually tell the difference between someone who says they exercise and someone who actually does exercise. (laughs) That's not always the case 100% of the time, which is kind of annoying, but generally speaking, we see the evidence of that. As with anything in life, you see fruit. You see the fruit of something that's authentic and real. So here's another way the kingdom moves. We love people by actually doing something by meeting the basic need of a stranger or maybe, maybe paying attention to someone in our own home, which may be the hardest place to do that sometimes. Because here's a thought. God decided that everyone living under your roof with you had just as much reason to be born as you did. Is that what you believe? because that's the kingdom. Here's another thought. It's a little weird, but I'm gonna go with it. What if we were to walk the aisles at like Target and uh, look at each person in the eye, in the eye as we pass them and say, hi, or hello, good morning. Is it weird? I I mean, I'm talking to everyone now because I think that could also be a mark of the kingdom. Like I'm wondering if Jesus would pass anybody ever without letting them know that he noticed them. And I know that's a tall order, and there's a lot of social dynamics that are at play when we engage strangers, I get that. But maybe we could just start by asking God to show us, to put a beating in our chest or just illuminate someone, the ones that really need it. Maybe he could just show us the ones that really need to be noticed that day. Like maybe one in the painkiller aisle who might not find the relief she's looking for on the shelf, but she might find it because she sees heaven and hope in your eyes. That's the kingdom. And every day we have these moments, uniquely personal moments, where we can construct or we can constrict God's kingdom. The difference is whether there's a you or an I in it. We love our neighbor with the law of love that shows itself up by doing something we gotta show up gotta show up for the use not that highs okay and there's just one last thing from uh, James that I want to highlight there's so much in there there's so much in there so maybe you can read it later and pull it out Um, this one he talks about pretty passionately and honestly I'm pretty passionate about it too we talk about it a lot at my house and sometimes honestly it's because I'm the one who needs the correction this is uh, James chapter 3 Verse three, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself set on, and is itself set on fire by hell. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made In God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now I don't know about you, but there are very few physical injuries that I recall from my childhood and teenage years that still make me feel pain. Like the wound healed, right? But when past injuries caused by words come to mind, You know what comes with them? Soul pain. It's the same for you. So when James says that the tongue corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell, I feel like I know what he means. And I think you do too. It's very hard to forget words that harm or embarrass, or put down, or tease. Just kidding, is a terrible eraser. It doesn't work. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't harm, or embarrass, or put down, or tease. So if that doesn't come from heaven, then that behavior is motivated by evil. And that's why we feel soul pain. It grinds on the very identity we have as image bearers of the Most High God. And Jesus is about healing that pain. So I've got a word for younger listeners today, especially if you have influence at your school or through social media. You know, Many of you will be going back to school soon and seeing your friends. I want you to know that what you say to your friends and about your friends is very important. It's so important because they will remember what you say for the rest of their lives. Believe me. Now, just like their pain won't go away, on the flip side, what they say to you will have the same effect, probably. And as much as you try, maybe you've already experienced this and you've been hurt, you won't be able to forget what they said and how what they said made you feel. And so right now, I'd like to press the reset button in the spirit for us. For whatever's been said or done to you and for what might be coming in the future, I want to make these declarations and please hear them and please receive them, especially our young people. You are God's handiwork. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works and you are more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. In Christ, you are a new creation. All things have become new. So, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things, and open your eyes to see what great love the Father has lavished on you, that you should be called children of God, and that is what you are. Amen. Get passionate there. I've got teenagers. But I don't think it's teenagers that needed that reminder today. Not only teenagers. See what words of truth can do? The Holy Spirit recognizes himself in a spoken word of truth and it begins to resonate and something recalibrates. So what if we put more of those words in our mouths, church, for the the people to hear? What if we construct the kingdom by contributing to a revolution in this generation by making sure heaven is coming out of our mouths instead of hell? That's the kingdom, speaking heaven's words on earth, words of life, words of hope, words of healing, words of salvation, words of Jesus our healer. Jesus, who called himself the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't harm the sheep. Sheep are his favorite. And it's interesting that shepherding is the work Jesus chose for himself when he introduced us to the kingdom. It's not the most glamorous work, right? But love was the greatest goal of his work. And it can be the greatest goal of ours as well. You don't have to go looking very hard to find a way to love, to do something on earth as it is in heaven. All it takes is to prioritize the use ahead of the I. That's how God constructs the kingdom. And it's kind of crazy, but that's how it works. He invites us into the story. He's the leader, our shepherd, and we can be one too. And sheep are his favorite. You're his favorite, and you're his favorite, and you're his favorite, sheep are God's favorite. So here's how I'd like us to close today with uh, Psalm 23, which may be familiar. And if it's not, and this is a new truth for you, don't miss it. I don't want anyone to miss it. In fact, we're gonna read it out loud together because it's a prayer that each of us can voice personally So uh, if you're taking notes, this is going to be from the Living Bible Translation. It may read a little bit differently than maybe uh, you've memorized it or heard it before. But I really think it helps with some of the intention of these verses. So let's go ahead and read it together. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He lets me rest in the meadow grass and leads me beside quiet streams. Sounds nice. He gives me new strength. He helps me do what honors him the most. Even when walking through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me, guarding, guiding all the way. You provide delicious food for me in the presence of my enemies. You have welcomed me as your guest. Blessings overflow. Your goodness and unfailing kindness shall be with me all of my life. And afterwards, I will live with you forever in your home. So now you've all made a declaration over your life about your shepherd and the promises that he offers you every moment of every day and the Holy Spirit is resonating with those words of truth, and something in you is recalibrating in the name of Jesus. What a good shepherd that is. He provides everything we need and more in this life. And because he laid down his life, down on the cross as our sacrifice, we have the hope of eternity, that I will live with you forever in your home. Receive everything in this psalm's promised church. Everything. And now I have a homework assignment for you. For anyone who wants to process this a bit more, I'd love for you to send me a DM or an email and let me know how it goes and what you learned about your time with God. But here's the assignment. Answer this question. What if you were the shepherd? What would that look like? Now, you and I are not the good shepherd. Only Jesus gets to be that. But we could be a good shepherd. Read Psalm 23 and pick your favorite version of it. On the app, you can find a bunch of versions. And I'd love to know which is your favorite about uh, about that too, favorite version. And really think about the everyday ways that you're already maybe routinely doing, ways you could bring God's sweetness to your world. How you would help someone find rest, which is what the Psalm says. Or strength. Or show up for them on a dark day. A Lot of dark days these days. Or provide a meal. Have them over as a guest. Show goodness and kindness. All of that is in that one Psalm, Psalm 23. And all those actions, whether in speech or in deed, whether big or small, are constructive movements of the kingdom. God's kingdom moves when I think about you. That's how it works. When I think about you like a good shepherd would. And the next 24 hours, and the next 24 years of moments are yours. They're only yours. And God's already been where you're about to go. He's leading you there, actually. Open your eyes for sheep like Corey and invite them to see a vision that might also make them part of God's mission. That's the kingdom. So, are you up for some sweet shepherd work, church? Because sheep are his favorite. You're his favorite, you're his favorite. And so are the lost ones, they're his favorite too. Let's pray. Jesus, what a thought that you would think on us so favorably. You love people more than anything you view us through the eyes of mercy. No matter what has happened in our life to this point, no matter what will happen after this point, you look at us with mercy. God, help us as a church to be available to your mercy, to lay down the idea of judgment And replace it with mercy. And help us to have our eyes open to all the intersections you have for us just naturally in our day. Help us to be mindful that you are the creator of all that is seen and unseen, all that we can imagine. And you have created us as part of that story. And you are very busy about us, God. Help us be energized and encouraged. This burden is not heavy, that it is not hard. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light and you're inviting us into this amazing adventure with you. And then your kingdom moves on earth as it is in heaven. Guard our mouths, guard our deeds. May people know that we are yours because of how we love, 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 and then love some more. And God, for anyone today who is experiencing a new kind of love in their heart and their understanding that this is Jesus, Jesus, my good shepherd who laid his life down, takes away my sin, something I could never do for myself. God, I want to lead this prayer for anybody whose name you're calling by your spirit. You can pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, come into my life, I believe in you. I believe that you laid your life down as my good shepherd on the cross for my sins. And because of your death, but mostly because of your resurrection, You are alive and I am now receiving your very alive spirit into my heart right now. I trust you for the forgiveness of my sins and I desire to have a new life with you now. So lead me, good shepherd. Help me to follow you. And church, we are praying hard, right? For anyone that may have just said that prayer, we are praying for encouragement we are praying for people to come alongside you. We're praying for perseverance, and guess what? We're praying that for ourselves too, right? This journey is not always easy. So we pray for ourselves courage. We pray that you would surround us with people that help us move forward in this life, and you would give us, Father, the perseverance to do the hard things, to obey you. There is blessing. There is blessing. And so, Father, I ask that you just pour it out. Your blessing on our church, on our homes, on our families, on our relationships. God, just deconstruct every work against your kingdom. You can do it more than we ask or imagine. And I'm asking for more right now. In Jesus' name, amen.